0: Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 219, for the 21st of October, 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm here with Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester,
1: from a sweltery southern hemisphere.
0: Well, it being Cybersecurity Awareness Month, I've noticed on Naked Security that we've had quite a few uh, stories sort of sharing some best practices and talking about things, and I noticed uh, one called Encrypt Like Everyone's Watching, which just so happens to also be my favorite slogan that we've launched in one of our marketing campaigns. And, uh, you know, I, I saw you did a write-up on this. And, you know, what what message are you trying to get across to readers uh, about data security? Last week, Chester, the uh, hash
1: cyber aware theme was rather a lungful. It was connected communities and families staying protected while we are always connected. And I paraphrased it into stay secure wherever you are. And of course, when you're on the move, that becomes ever more complicated, not least because you're probably using a device that could easily be stolen. And as you and I have said many times, one way around that is to encrypt or scramble your stuff with a key where only you, or perhaps you and the company, have the decryption key and uh, if you want to avoid the issue of, well, where do I draw the line? Do I'll, I'll encrypt my tax returns, but do I need to encrypt this song I bought on iTunes? Well, why not encrypt everything? And then you don't have to worry.
0: You can't leave something out if you encrypt the lot. Oh, I agree. And uh, with everybody moving everything toward uh, cloud computing, or uh, as I learned a new term this week, clown computing.
1: I saw that article, it was quite amusing. <laughs> One is based on elastic and the other is based on rubber noses,
0: apparently. Yeah, I think my favorite was, of course, cloud computing was introduced by Jeff Bezos and clown computing is introduced by Bozos. (laughs) It doesn't really matter where your information is being stored, whether you trust it to someone else's computer or whether it's even on your own computer encryption is pretty cheap if not free these days uh in many many aspects and it almost always comes back to be a good thing that you're happy you've done once you've done it well i was working on a project last weekend and uh i i decided to do some work with ipv6 on my home network and And when you start working with IPv6, you start getting into very large numbers. And in this case, it turns out I ended up with 32,768 subdomains of 4 billion IP addresses each. And my immediate thought was, I need to put an IP address on everything I own, and hence the iKettle. Now... I don't quite understand some of this craze for the uh, Internet of Things or, uh, you know, all this stuff. I saw on television a, an advertisement for a a dryer for your clothes, for your laundry, that allows you to uh, turn it on and off uh, with an app. and And I got to thinking, you know, anything involving fire inside of my house is probably a bad idea to turn on if I'm not there to physically push the button and be nearby it. Um, but the eye kettle, right? I mean, your your tea could be ready. Uh, perhaps you just push the button while driving down the highway at seventy miles per hour, or fifteen minutes before you get home. At least they are perfectly honest, Chester. Uh, the reason you buy an eye kettle is
1: embrace laziness and enjoy perfect hot drinks. What's not to like? And the problem is that, as with many IoT things that we've spoken about in the past. What's not to like is that security was kind of an afterthought, and it turns out that your kettle might get your whole Wi-Fi network into hot water. If you'll pardon the rather obvious joke, I've been waiting to roll out for some time.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've thought I could boil water with my smartphone a few times when I've turned on Google Maps and then stuck it in my pocket. <laughs> Yeah, that's why it has six cores, man. <laughs> exactly, and two GPUs. <laughs> uh, you know, we've really got to rethink some of this uh, internet-in-everything approach to problem solving because, uh, yeah, I like gadgets. I mean, I, I like the idea of these toys. I mean, the, the concept of changing light bulb colors and tones with an app uh, or programmatically based on my mood or how dry the soil content is in my cactus on my desk uh, is kind of appealing to me. I like the idea of this stuff, but I don't really understand the approach organizations are taking to to securing these devices or even deciding that it's not important enough to secure. And, and I had a conversation with some people at a utility company a few months ago where they were concerned about some of these uh, smart thermostats and going, Hey, you know, people joke around, you know, if somebody hacks your thermostat, what's the worst thing? They turn up the air con really high and you get home and it's, you know, five degrees in your house or, or the opposite, right? You crank up the heat or something. But what's at stake, you know, potentially from their standpoint is, well, what happens when you hack 10,000 thermostats and suddenly you can turn 20 megawatts of power demand on in a microsecond, right? And the grid isn't built to handle that. There's all kinds of security implications to these things, whether they're impacting you personally or maybe a greater societal impact. And also, if you think about a thermostat, Chester, these days, it's not just
1: something that says, is the temperature above or below 21 degrees? Should I be on or off? It's also storing data about what was on when, which kind of says when you were home, when you were away. So it's almost like a giant geolocation history of someone can
0: get in and get that data out. So there's an awful lot of privacy stuff at stake at the same time. In the story I was reading on the kettle that you wrote, I mean, we have Talnet, we've got like short pin passcodes that go to default. Nothing should ever have a default passcode or default value anymore. This is 2015 and uh, we know better than that. I mean, when I get, when something says the default password on installation is X, I think, oh, no, that means they really didn't understand what they were doing from the very start when it came to security. All it had to do was say, please set a passcode now. You're obviously my owner. You just turned me on. And then there wouldn't be a default. Yes, it it does sort of give the impression. I mean, I don't mean to pick on the
1: eye kettle. It was just an intriguing example. But throughout there, there's obviously some sense from the programmers that security is kind of important, but not really interesting enough to bother doing it properly because, hey, it's only a kettle. The crook will have to know you've got a kettle and he'll have to stand outside your house to mount this attack. And really, that's thinking about security the wrong way round. If a crook wants to get into your network and then he happens to find out that you've got one of these vulnerable IoT devices,
0: then he knows one way to get in which could save him an awful lot of time. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not much to say on these things other than buyer beware when you're looking at buying these types of devices, unless you're intentionally purchasing them for security research, uh, you may wish to consider isolating them to some degree. I know on my network at home, I use the free Sophos UTM and I've just got everything kind of segmented off, right? I mean, I've got my, my play toy stuff is in one guest network that can't really talk to my file server or any of my critical computers that I store sensitive information on. And and that's where, you know, people's Android phones, when they come to visit, connect. And that's where I play with, you know, Internet of Things style devices where hopefully they can cause less damage um, than they might cause if they're in a sensitive area of my network.
1: Because after all, it's often
0: the fact that these are consumer
1: devices that don't sell for an awful lot of money that is kind of presented as the reason why, well, we can't afford to spend zillions of dollars on getting the security Right. And I've got this sort of gut feeling that if a company says that security is too expensive for it to build into a product that it expects you to put on your network, then maybe you need to think that perhaps the company's too cheap for you to spend your money with them.
0: I think you may be onto something there. And it looks like Facebook is up to something new uh when you log into facebook next and in addition to being told that you missed out on viewing 24 cat pictures and 13 status updates you might also be informed that uh, the red menace may be trying to hack into your account now google's been putting warnings in gmail accounts that have been targeted by quote state-sponsored hackers for a couple years now and it looks like the new chief security officer at facebook alex stamos is doing the same over at facebook Although it does seem a bit of an odd target. I mean, I guess most people maybe wouldn't think of their social media profiles being targeted by foreign uh, agents of espionage. I like the idea that they're trying to warn you that something fishy,
1: ho, 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 is going on. I just wonder how valuable a warning like that. Well, you may be under attack from a state-sponsored actor, and therefore, you know, now you're under attack. Maybe you want to raise your security game a bit. Maybe you want to try two-factor authentication. I would have thought the time to be persuading people to turn on two-factor authentication is before anybody tries to hack you. So I think I understand where this is coming from, but it seems to ask more questions than it answers to me. And that's why on Naked Security, we're just recommending, look, if this is a good idea, two-factor authentication, for example, amongst other things, to keep out state-sponsored hackers then it's a jolly good way of keeping out anybody who might see value in your social media account. Even if it's a crook, who will sell it to the next guy for five bucks.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's the same advice we always provide. I mean, I feel the same way whether we're talking about malware or anything else. I mean, if you've got something that can help against some of your most sophisticated adversaries, why wouldn't you want to protect yourself all the time against all your adversaries? So I'm not against
1: Facebook's announcement, but... I wish it were positioning the defense as the generic protection that it is, rather than as a specific way of dealing with one might-be-scary part of the problem.
0: And of course, if you're on iOS, the next story won't affect you, uh, but everybody else it probably will, which is there were two Flash updates this week, uh, one of which I believe was a sort of emergency fix for an in-the-wild, zero-day attack that had been exploited in Flash Player. And similar to the way we used to speak of Java in the podcast, it does beg the question, why are you still running Flash? And and this is one of the things I think, uh, one of the best things in the world Steve Jobs gave us before he passed on was, was getting the Flash Player banned on iOS. I'm a big fan of that because now if I pretend to be iOS on my computer, almost everything I go to that used to require Flash goes, oh, <laughs> you know, sorry, you're on an iPad, I'll I'll give you an HTML5 version which is fantastic because that means I don't need Flash anymore. Did I hear you saying, in a slightly roundabout
1: way, security through obscurity, Chester? (laughs) Whatever works to keep you safe, my friend. Yes. As we've pointed out before, the one thing I really would like to see, uh, at least in Firefox, which is the browser I use the most, is that option to have Flash installed and to have it set to ask to activate but with an option in Ask to Activate that says, go back to the server and actually for this page, tell them I don't have Flash at all. And that way you will get the HTML5 version. Most sites support Flash or HTML5, whichever gives them
0: the desired result. Sounds like someone should be writing an extension for Firefox to do this for us, because... There is a new extension platform that's being forced on Firefox users soon. Uh, uh, Mozilla's dropping the NPAPI, the old Netscape plugin API. Oh, dear. Yes, that's sort of pre-XP era, isn't it?
1: Yeah. My goodness.
0: (laughs) And and some people may also refer to it as, I think, Zool, X-U-L, is the programming language, I guess you could call it, that you write Firefox extensions in. So that's all going away. And maybe if somebody wants to, you know, sharpen their their tools up and and, and get accustomed to writing modern Firefox plugins, then maybe they could uh, knit us something together.
1: Yes, of course, the only irony with having HTML5 on instead of Flash is, uh, as we've spoken to it before, you'll probably ironically see more ads because of all the ad networks that are saying, no, we're not going to do Flash anymore. Although they're not doing it for security, they're doing it because the ads are more likely to show it does suggest that the number of web developers who
0: rely entirely and only on Flash is ever decreasing. Good. I, I almost have not seen Java, actually, in so long. I'm trying to remember the last time it popped up as a a plugin that was needed for anything online. And if, uh, if I can say the same thing of Flash a year from now, I'll be very, very happy about that. Now, our last story... I, I I want to be careful how we talk about the story. A Drydex malware group was shut down, which is great news. Yes, but I want to be careful to not suggest that Drydex malware has gone away. Uh, it's good news, but it's not. Uh, it's 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 not a solution to the problem. Now, the guy was picked up in Cyprus or something. Is that right? That's correct,
1: Chester. Andre Ginkle, I presume that's how you say it. Uh, He's also known, uh, if you hang out in the cyber underworld, as Smilex, apparently. And he's now facing extradition to the US on a long list of charges, uh, one of which, unsurprisingly, bank fraud. Because the malware that he was distributing through the Drydex infrastructure, if you like, was specifically designed to allow him to get control over your account and tried to transfer funds and according to the rap sheet that the department of justice released recently in one of those cases he tried to transfer $999,000 from a school in pennsylvania so you see don't have to be a commercial for profit enterprise to have guys like this going after you allegedly of course
0: yeah it's sad when we see that kind of thing and you know when in in go looking into banking fraud in the past we've seen uh lots of these types of tactics, going after small businesses, these types of things, places where people are likely to uh have more money than an individual might have, right? You know, in your, your own savings account, you may have a couple thousand dollars. But of course, uh even a, a small business with 10 employees who make minimum wage has to have the payroll in the account and the second Friday of the month or whatever it is in order to to pay their employees. And that makes them a much more attractive target because they likely don't have the resources of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase or or Boeing or something like this to defend themselves, and yet they have uh, a lot more money than other defenseless creatures like you or your grandma. And on that note, I'll conclude Self-Security Chat Chat 219. As always, all of our podcasts are available on our RSS feed over at iTunes, in the TuneIn app, uh, anywhere fine podcasts are found. You can get the latest security news over at nakedsecurity.selfless.com. And until next time, stay secure.